Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. Is Trump really the problem with the Republican Party, or is it older and deeper than that? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the support tab there. You can throw a few pennies my way. Also, go to McClanahanAcademy.com. You've already heard about that. And, of course, pick up one or 20 classes there. We're getting into that holiday season. They make great gifts for that Brian McClanahan Show fan in your life. They are awesome classes. You get a lot of great content. And it's a win-win because you keep this podcast free of charge and you get great content on the back end. You can also click on the shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Or buy one of my books wherever books are sold. I've got many of those as well. But as always, rate, view, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can and comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All right. Let's talk about this idea of Trump being the problem in American politics. And you hear this a lot, right? I mean, Donald Trump, if you're on the left, the Trump derangement syndrome is real. I mean, if they can just get rid of this guy, well, then everything would go away. Or Trump caused all this situation. you got all the vitriol against quote-unquote MAGA Republicans. But the question is, you know, where does this come from, right? Where, where did this groundswell of Trump support come from? Trump was just the vehicle by which people were able to voice some of the problems that they had with the Republican Party for years. And there was a really interesting article at the American Thinker uh, just a couple of, well, about a week ago or so. And uh, it talks about Trump as being not the problem, but the problem goes back before that. Now, why I want to talk about this article is because the article doesn't go back far enough. And this is kind of a growing pains that people have as they start looking at American politics. Generally, what will happen is you'll, you might be a conservative, you're interested in conservative politics in one way or another, and you start looking at you know, what, what we're doing now, and then you start going back a little bit. You start trying to find the root of things. And it's easy to go back to, say, George H.W. Bush, as this article does, and say, that's the turning point right there. That's when things really went off the rails. That's when the establishment Republicans started being a bunch of doofuses. And we really started seeing some problems. You know, George H.W. Bush was the establishment kind of Republican. The Republicans betrayed their constituents. And then, you know, we get, uh, then from there, we really see a deviation from true republicanism. And that true republicanism would be, I guess, Ronald Reagan. The problem is it doesn't go back far enough. Reagan 
if you go back and look at what happened in the early 80s, Reagan allowed the neoconservatives and then the West Coast Straussians a foot in the door. And it was just like Trump. Reagan didn't really have anybody to rely on when he took on uh, the task of building an administration outside of these power-clinging individuals. He had one, Mel Bradford. And Mel Bradford probably would have radically changed the way we think about uh, American culture had he been allowed the federal appointment that was eventually uh, denied. And that was because the neoconservatives, Bill Bennett and George Will and all these idiots, went out there and, and railed against his candidacy for the National Endowment for the Humanities, and Reagan withdrew his nomination, or at least his potential nomination, and put Bill Bennett in that position. And that really helped grow Heritage Foundation and some of these other think tanks that we see, quote-unquote conservative think tanks, into what they are. And so from that point forward, real conservatives were kind of pushed to the fringe. But it's also important to note that the 1980s were still just a symptom of the disease. The disease goes back further than the 1980s, the 1970s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. In fact, it goes back further than the 20th century. It goes back into the 19th century. And of course, I can make a case it goes all the way back to 1789. Not necessarily with the ratification of the Constitution, because if we actually adhered to the Constitution the way that the proponents of the documents said it was supposed to be interpreted when it was ratified, we would have no problems today. But we have to go to 1789 and the Congress passing the first Judiciary Act, which had a section in Section 25. Section 25 allowed for state Supreme Court decisions to be appealed to federal courts. Now, what this did was make it to where the states were subordinate branches of the federal court system. This is how the opponents of this section correctly pointed out it would work. And it has worked that way. That's the real issue. And there were efforts to try to undo this. And in fact, my next class at McLean Academy is going to get into this in quite a lot of detail. But there were efforts to try to undo this. But from that point forward, we started seeing a growing expansion of the federal courts, a growing expansion of federal power. And if you really want to point to the root of the problem when we get to the modern Republican Party, it is the origins of the modern Republican Party. The Republican Party has never been, and will never be, a conservative party in America. It cannot be. Its foundations are, are the antithesis of an American conservative party. Lincoln himself was never a conservative. He wasn't as radical as, say, Thad Stevens or Charles Sumner. And so he's often portrayed as a conservative Republican. But what did that even mean in the 19th century? Well, a conservative Republican in the 19th century was someone who was still to the left of most of the American electorate. And we know this because when Lincoln ran for president in 1860, he only got 39% of the popular vote. 39%. So we know that 60% of the American public was to the right of Abraham Lincoln because the other people that were running in that in that election were all to the right of Lincoln. So whether it was John Bell or Stephen Douglas or John Breckinridge, all were to the right of Abraham Lincoln. So the majority of Americans, in fact, three-fifths of the American population, were to the right of Abraham Lincoln. So Lincoln was no conservative. And the things that he talked about and how he tried to address 
public issues and how he tried to use federal power, and not just that, the intellectual muscle that he used for this, was based on an understanding of the Constitution and American society that was at odds with the way that these things had been interpreted for a long period of time by the majority of Americans. And again, we know this because except for certain times, right, little, little blips on the radar, so to speak, Americans generally progressed through the 19th century up to that point in a very federalist lowercase f model. So in other words, they were generally on board with what would be called a much more Jeffersonian interpretation of the Constitution. Now, Lincoln himself tried to attach his view of America to Jefferson in this proposition nation myth. And that's just a, that's a whole other can of worms that I'm not going to get into today. And I've talked about it before. But uh, what you had was uh, a a challenge with Lincoln to the way that Americans had thought about the powers of the general government all throughout the first, say, 80 years of the American Federal Republic. Now, we know the Supreme Court didn't move in that direction, and so there were individuals that we could point to, Alexander Hamilton, Daniel Webster, John Marshall, these kind of people, that were pushing the United States and being the real problem in American political history. Not the solution. When they talked about nationalism, that was the real thorn. That was the burr under the saddle. Because most Americans liked federalism. They liked the ability of the states to do basically control their own domestic institutions, their own domestic policies. Didn't matter if you're talking about New England, a state in New England like Massachusetts, or a state in the South like South Carolina. Neither one wanted to be governed by the other. Massachusetts could be Massachusetts, and South Carolina could be South Carolina. Now, it didn't mean there weren't aggressive individuals in, in both sections that would try to manipulate the levers of power. But generally, the South avoided this more than the North did. And so New England nationalism was really just New England sectionalism. They just wanted to have America dominated by New England. And so when you get to the Republican Party, that's essentially what it was. Now, we know in their early platforms, they had a, uh, a offhand reference to state powers and what we would call states' rights, but they really didn't believe it. They didn't believe it at all. Now, I mean, Lincoln made statements to that effect. Well, I can't do anything about slavery, for example, in the Deep South, but um, so I have no control over that. So he did make references to it that you would have, uh, he, would re- he would respect the powers of the states, but he really didn't. And it's not just on slavery. It's on a whole host of other things too, right? Federally funded internal improvements, central banking, protective tariffs, all the things that had been major problems in the early American Republic now become major problems with Lincoln. And without the Southern opposition of these things, well, you get them, right? So the Republican Party passes all this legislation beginning in 1862 to nationalize just about everything. And then after the war, they continued the process. So what happens with people when they go start going down this rabbit hole? You know, if Donald Trump is... Um, a manifestation of American anger. Well, where does that anger come from? Well, I, it doesn't come from 1988. And of course, people would say, well, I mean, it's you know George H. W. Bush lying about you know no new taxes, and then we get more taxes. And then, of course, you had the Republican Revolution of '94. And what did that do? Did it really trim the the general government? The only reason the Republicans were able to do much of anything then is because you have Bill Clinton willing to work with them. Um, and so, yes, for a time, the uh, United States started having a surplus to pay down the debt. 
And that was good, right? That was good. There, there was actually a period of time the Republicans were able to get some things done. But if you go back and read that contract with America, they didn't do a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, you had a shift back to the establishment, so to speak, um, beginning in the Bush administration. Uh, and you know people like Dennis Hastert and all these others who, who really pushed, Bush was just a progressive. And I, and I used to say this to progressives, you know, you all should love George W. Bush. He has a progressive foreign policy. It's a progressive domestic policy. He's just one of you, just a little softer, but he's still one of you. And they would get very upset about that. No, 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 no. He's not one of us. He doesn't believe with us. But he did, right? George W. Bush was as much a progressive as any of these people running around right now. This is why you have progressives t- talking about loving George W. Bush. I mean, they'd, they'd love to see George W. Bush back in uh, somebody like George W. Bush. I mean, we need someone like George W. Bush and the Republicans. Who is that? That's Mitt Romney. And of course, when any of these people run, they paint him as the most conservative, villainous people in the face of the planet. But I digress. So we, we often look at you know people that just kind of are getting into this. They start scratching the surface. Well, it, it, maybe it wasn't just George W. Bush. Maybe we've got to go back a little further. And then we get to George H. W. Bush. And maybe it's him, but maybe there's something else there. Maybe there's somebody else we got to go back. And then maybe you say, well, maybe it was Gerald Ford. I mean, Gerald Ford uh, was you know kind of an establishment Republican, wasn't really that... Con- uh, but well, I'll say a second here. I mean, you got Richard Nixon. Maybe it was Richard Nixon uh, where, where this problem started with the Republican Party. Well, you know, because Nixon, I mean, what's, what's funny about Richard Nixon is they always tried to outdo the left. Their administration did. I mean, he made, he, his, his, his chief of staff said this. And I actually talk about it in my nine presidents who screwed up America. His chief of staff said, I don't know why the left hates us. We're doing what they want. Well, of course they're going to hate you because they're not they're not getting credit for it, uh, and it's not as far as they wanted to go. So they're going to they're going to try to defeat you anyways. So why even do what they want? I mean that that really should be the question. If you know the left is going to punish you anyways for doing something like they would want, why even do it? I mean that's the real question that conservatives should ask themselves. Why even go along with anything they want? And I think that's where we're looking at this situation with the House of Representatives and the overthrow of Kevin McCarthy. I mean, why do you want somebody that's going to be a Democrat light? And that's what the Republicans have become, and that's really what they've always been. They've always been on the left. Now, for a time, they were the left. Then the Democrats moved further left. So it's just they're, they're just slowing this leftward march. And R.L. Dabney talked about this in the late 19th century. When he said, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially northern conservatives aren't really conservative. They're just they're just picking up the discarded leftist talking points of the of the old uh, left. I mean, that's it. So Dabney's critique of the Republican Party or with northern conservatives was that they weren't really going to conserve anything in the American tradition. And of course, at that point, he's talking about other reform movements. Uh, that essay in particular was focused on uh, the women's rights movement. But there were uh, certainly other issues that conservatives would not really be looking to conserve anything. I mean, that's, that's what we have to understand about uh, the Republican Party. It was always a leftist party. So let me get into this article because I think that the author makes some interesting points uh, dealing with 
the modern situation. And he says, former President Donald Trump is blamed for more of the world's problems than even global warming. Climate change, extreme weather, or what we call weather these days. Trump is also blamed for much of the dysfunction in Washington, D.C., such as the recent ousting of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Perhaps if McCarthy was contested on The Apprentice and Trump told him you're fired, then blaming Trump would be appropriate. Here's ABC News tying Trump's campaign catchphrase MAGA to McCarthy's ouster. MAGA inspired House rebe rebellion against McCarthy leaves chaos in Capitol Hill. The Hill agreed with this headline, McCarthy's ousting as a result of the appeasement of MAGA enablers. The poorly named left-leaning Lincoln Project, now see this is it, this is what I want to say, the poorly named left-leaning Lincoln Project, Lincoln was always a leftist. If conservatives aren't willing to understand that Abraham Lincoln is not their guy, then we're never going to be conserving anything. And you see, this is what I said, you start, in these, you start down this path. Well, you know, where is the situation with Trump? Where, where is, you know, where do we go wrong? The Lincoln Project should be left-leaning, but this is what they said. The Republican Party of Trump cannot govern at any level. The MAGA parasite is eating them alive. So then the author says, Trump didn't cause this mess. The Republican Party did long before Trump appeared on the political scene. And where does he go back? Well, of course, 1988. He said, rather than causing the problems, he is the voters' response to decades of feckless GOP leadership and broken promises to their voters. Nature abhors a vacuum, and the GOP offered up a decades-long vacuum of leadership and principles. Trump filled the vacuum, as did Representative Matt Gates last week. Although it probably began much earlier, a notable starting point for Republican duplicitousness was from George H.W. Bush in his 1988 presidential campaign against Michael Dukakis. He uttered those famous six words, read my lips, no new taxes. Now he said, although it probably began much earlier. Yeah, it did. Try with Lincoln. I mean, this is the point. You can't start American conservatism with Lincoln or all you're going to get is a bunch of leftists. And until conservatives start realizing that, even people that are well-meaning and they're trying to figure out where all this stuff happened, until you get to that point, you're never going to understand why American conservatism is always going to be just picking up the discarded leftist talking points and moving along with them. Look, Lincoln himself did it. Lincoln was not as far left as someone like, say, Charles Sumner, again, or Thad Stevens. I already mentioned this. But when he gave his Gettysburg Address, when he did that, he basically parroted these people that have been saying almost the exact same thing since the 1850s to the left. But you see, they had even gone further to the left at that point. Lincoln was, was willing to go to a point and then put on the brakes, whereas some of the other Republicans wanted to go even further than Lincoln. Now, Edward Everett, who gave a speech before Lincoln, was uh, much more conservative than Lincoln. But, you know, you go back to the 1830s, you look at Lincoln's Lyceum Address, when he said that the Declaration of the Constitution have to be kind of like the American political Bibles. I mean, this was a secular religion that Lincoln was, was thinking about all the way back in the 1830s. I've got a great class at McClanahan Academy on that, by the way, reading Abraham Lincoln. I go through all of this stuff. You need to get that class. But Lincoln was just not moving as quickly as the others in his own party to the left, but he was still on the left. Again, 60% three-fifths of the American public was more conservative than Lincoln in 1860. 
more conservative than Lincoln. So we have to understand that Lincoln cannot be considered to be a conservative. This, this heresy of Harry Jaffa saying that equality was conservative is also just that. It's a distortion of the American political experience. Because when you start saying that, and I know that the Jaffaites and the West Coast Straussians would say, well, yeah, but we don't mean, you know, we don't mean equality of condition. We don't mean equality like the left says equality. It doesn't matter. Because once you use that word equality, you can't really qualify it. It just is opening the door. I mean, there's, look, in the 18, 1838, this is in the, I, I talk about this in my most recent class at McLean Academy, The Age of Jackson, James Fenimore Cooper. 1838, Cooper is very clear, he's from New York, that the way that Americans think of equality isn't like the left thinks of equality, it's something else. But again, once you use that term, it doesn't really matter. When there's no real anchor to it in America, if America is simply a leftward trend, and, and a lot of people say it is, I mean, look, that's how people have argued America from the beginning. It's, it's a left-wing revolution, and then it's going to produce left-wing results. If it's just a left-wing progressing trend, then you can talk all about equality you want in trying to put brakes on it or put parameters to it, but it's never going to work. Now, the founding generation knew what they meant by it. They knew that they were talking about the British or English political model and what they were, what they were suggesting there. But it, it's not what, uh, what the American left has said it is. And they vote too. And they have power too, which is, again, one of the real issues. So the piece continues, uh, as Time reported, Bush as president signed into law a stealth budget that while leaving the income tax alone, raised various fees and levies. Promises made, promises broken. He dropped like a stone in the polls, ushering in eight years of Bill Clinton. Well, it wasn't that that destroyed the Bush presidency. I mean, look, Bush, Bush had a 70% approval rating in 1991. What killed the Bush presidency was the resulting recession after the war. So uh, a 70% approval rating is um, something that you can't sneeze at. From a Democrat like Bill Clinton, lies are normally expected. Senator Bob Kerry in 1995 accurately observed Clinton's an unusually good liar. Unusually good. Next came George W. Bush promising compassionate conservatism. Whatever that means, well, I'll tell you what that means. That's Dwight Eisenhower's dynamic conservatism. It's nothing, nothing different. Now, Eisenhower wasn't as progressive as George W. Bush, but... When you look at domestic policy, compassionate conservatism is dynamic conservatism. <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, the Republican Party has always been interested, and this is why they've always been willing to accept parts of the left because they agree with it. I mean, you want to find examples for this stuff? Just go to the Republican Party. Instead, he ushered in the Patriot Act, providing the justice and intelligence agencies Overreaching new powers to spy on Americans. Well, you know who did that first? Well, how about the Republicans during the war? Right? 30,000 civilians arrested. I mean, 
You want to talk about domestic abuse, just go to the Republican Party. It's all there. This is where people have to understand they cannot look to, to Abraham Lincoln as any kind of political model. When you do that, you are setting yourself up for what the left gives us today because Lincoln was on the left. Then saddled the U.S. economy with a two-decade-long Middle Eastern war under false pretenses of Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction. I mean, look, I agree with that. But he's not going back far enough. He's not understanding the origins of this stuff enough. He's just given you some more recent examples of the disease. The disease is bigger than any of these Republicans. The disease is the Republican Party. The disease is the 1850s Republican Party. His milquetoast presidency gave America eight years of Barack Obama and his many lies, including over Obamacare. If you like your doctor insurance, you can keep your doctor insurance. Then there was Benghazi, fast and furious, and a weaponized FBI and DOJ illegally spying on and sabotaging his political opposition, his IRS targeting conservative groups, to name a few, and the Republicans did nothing. Well, again, I agree. Why? Because they like this kind of power too. And if they were in power, they're going to use it, at least theoretically. They want to use the they they want the keys to the car too. The problem is the Republicans have a little I mean, they're they're not the kind of political kneecappers the Democrats are. The Democrats want to abuse their political opposition. They want to punish them and drive them into the dirt, ground them into the I mean, just ground them down, right? They want them into the into the dirt. They want them to be completely irrelevant. The Republicans won't do it. They're too nice. And it's because, essentially, they believe in the same things. Just a little less. What was Congress doing all this time? As Sundance at the Last Refuge summarized, suddenly as if there was no background of repeated broken promises and a complete failure to deliver on any key request, Kevin McCarthy and his legion of professionally Republican supporters Pretended they cannot fathom why the base voters are more than happy to support Matt Gates. Beginning in 2009, the Republican ruling class asked for votes to give them control of Congress so they could repeal Obamacare and balance the budget. Gradually through 2014, voters obliged and gave Republicans both the House and the Senate. Republican voters, fed up with past broken promises, created the Tea Party movement starting in 2009 as an outlet for voter frustration. It wasn't just Republicans in this coalition, but many Libertarians and others favoring a less intrusive government in adherence to the Constitution. The Tea Party attempted to fill the GOP leadership vacuum. It wasn't a big ask. Tea Partiers wanted smaller government, lower taxes, national debt reduction through less government spending, and a hard stop against government-run health care. Republicans did nothing. Conservatives grew increasingly frustrated. The GOP ruling class went back to voters with another ask. Controlling the House and Senate were not enough, they said, apparently not understanding the Congress's power of the purse and oversight. They needed the presidency, too. Voters delivered electing Donald Trump, who shared many Tea Party values. He promised to finally build a border wall, something GOP Congress failed to do for decades. He also wanted Obamacare repeal, which Congress could have defunded. Trump wanted fiscal responsibility, which the Republican Congress ignored. Now, how much he was actually committed to these things, I don't know. But, I mean, the piece is correct. The real problem in America is not the presidency... Per se, it's the fact that Congress, which has so much power, punts all the time. I mean, executive government is an issue. 
But the Congress makes it so. I mean, John C. Calhoun pointed this out. Congress makes it so. Congress makes it to where executive government works. The piece says Trump wasn't the problem. He was the last-ditch effort of frustrated conservatives to right the sinking American ship. If the Tea Party movement wasn't taken seriously, perhaps MAGA would be different. Still, Republicans did nothing. Speaker Paul Ryan loathed voters who elected Trump to the White House, but not him and Mitt Romney. Ryan and his never-Trump colleagues ignored or abetted a weaponized national security apparatus to illegally undermine President Trump and his administration. Nothing was done to resolve, or I'm sorry, restore voters' faith in elections and voting. Obamacare remained the law of the land. The national debt grew, and the border remained open. Congress unwilling to fund the wall. Many Republicans fought against the, their party's leader rather than supporting him. They went along with all the COVID mandates and restrictions with no pushback. Now, of course, again, this is a little bit short-sighted because Trump was supporting these things, too. They looked the other way as the FBI organized and carried out a supposed insurrection on January 6th. All the January 6th tapes have still not been released, contrary to one of the many undelivered Speaker McCarthy promises. And the piece goes on. But again, the real point here is that Republicans are doing what Republicans always do. Republicans for a long time just wanted a seat at the table. They didn't care how they got it. They didn't care um, anything about real government or real voting. I mean, they didn't care anything about that stuff. All they wanted to do is just say, we're here. Give us some power and we'll love it. And the Democrats have always known it. Again, the Democrats really are the kneecappers. They're the ones who are willing to get the power and use it to their advantage. Republicans don't do it. And when there's any pushback, Republicans bend and they buckle because they don't want to be called bad names. The problem is they're going to be called bad names, as I said, anyways. So you might as well do what you're there to do and let the left run around like a bunch of toddlers and throw temper tantrums because that's what happens. So the real issue with the Republican Party is, and I agree, Trump is not the issue. It's the party itself. It's the origins of the Republican Party. There's no conservative party in America. And if we're going to put all of our faith in the Republican Party, you're bound to be disappointed. And I would say, all the, and I've talked about this before, there's never been a flip. The Republican Party is the same Republican Party from the 1850s. It hasn't changed. The only thing that's happened in America is there's no conservative party anymore. And conservatives who try to get in the Republican Party and make it something it's not are always going to be disappointed. That's the key takeaway from all of the last, say, half century of American government. See you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.